And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off your purchase once per month. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on this episode, our beat writer Patrick Lyons and I conclude our conversation on Game 163 and the the run in 2007, some of the unlikeliest moments, some of the unsung heroes, uh, a, a lot of the just really fascinating and intriguing things that took place in and around that game. It ended up being quite the conversation, got a lot of people involved through the live chats as well, so I want to give a shout out to everybody once again for doing that and for joining us on those going to start to make them a little bit more of a regular thing so hopefully we'll have them scheduled out and you will all know ahead of time when we're going to go live and on what and you can come and join us and ask questions and just join the conversation generally speaking as well Uh, we're looking at more ways to get people involved our nba guys have figured out some cool things ways they can play games with people uh, do some trivia. I'm looking forward to doing some of that. I know that some of you out there are absolute whiz kids when it comes to the Colorado Rockies, and you would school me in Rockies trivia or baseball trivia. And so I think there there's a fun way to make that happen, maybe give out some sticker packs and shirts and, and see what we can do there. So other than that, uh, the only other thing that I can say to set the conversation back up is to let you know that we were coming, we went out at a point and are therefore coming back in at a point where my uh, internet had crashed. Of course, that is a thing that is going on now in this world of, uh, you know, online video chats and podcasts from a distance. It's uh, always interesting to see whose internet holds up. For the most part, mine did well, but it, it jumped out there in the middle. And so you'll hear Patrick bringing us back in. But before we can do that, I do have to mention that the wait is finally over. DraftKings is the official partner of DNVR, and they are bringing legal sports betting to Colorado. Before you know it, sports will be back, and it will be way more fun to watch when you have some skin in the game. And the best way to get in on the action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. DraftKings, yes, that DraftKings, has launched an online sportsbook created by sports fans, for sports fans. This isn't some offshore operation like other gambling sites. DraftKings is a legitimate sports book based right here in the U.S. You can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever. You don't even need to leave your house. Luckily for us, we don't have to wait long for major sporting events to bet on 
with the UFC returning to the octagon and UFC uh, with UFC 249 and NASCAR starting soon after. There are also sports futures bets that can be made right now, plus free pool survivor bets on TV shows like Chopped and Shark Tank, and we're going to start to have some DNVR exclusive betting lines on probably shows like The Bachelor, but also on the Rockies and on the Nuggets, the Broncos, the Avs, on just there. You can go right now and bet on Colorado sports weather if you think that's a good idea. So download the DraftKings sports app now and use code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget Enter code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, please call one 800 522 Four seven zero zero, and now back to our conversation. All right, while we wait for Drew to get back again, we're we're looking at your live comments, and and we really wanted to make sure that we gave you a voice. Anyone who's listening out there, what are your memories of two thousand seven? Whether you went to the games or not, as we referenced earlier in the episode, I was in. New Jersey. I was on the East Coast at that time, but as a baseball fan, of course, I was tuned into what was going on in Colorado because as a baseball fan, you can't not be interested in a winning streak and an underdog defying the odds like the Colorado Rockies at that point. And so for those of you that born and raised here in Colorado, you have to have some memories or at least your family has some fantastic tales of of what happened during that time, whether you're sitting in front of a television or maybe you're real old school, depending on what rural part of Colorado you're from, you're listening to a radio. But no matter where you were in Colorado at that time or the Rocky Mountain region, the 2007 Colorado Rockies really captured the hearts and minds of baseball fans here in this state and in the entire region. And so we want to hear from you some of your great memories that you had of the 2007 club. Let's see. Timo picks again, references that walk off home run by, by Todd Helton. And the, the interesting thing about that was, and you saw that all throughout the run was the excitement Todd Helton had at that point. Yeah. He was a more, much more veteran player, but he really wasn't, you know, that old. Per se, he was in his, still in his early 30s. He was about 30, 31 years old. So it's not like he was this guy maybe getting his final chance. He had been kind of grinding away at a at a 20-year major league career, and maybe, just maybe, he would get to feel like a kid and, and have this opportunity at being an immortal in the playoffs. No, he was he was much younger than that. But in that home run, his excitement when he hit the walk-off homer against Saito but it was the fact, and, and, and to every man in that clubhouse, they waited for Helton to get back before they even decided to, to take off their jersey. They didn't want to go anywhere. They wanted their guy, their captain, their leader to come back in and give them that round of applause. It was unlike anything anyone had seen 
at that point where just a group of guys just being on that exact same page. And that was the chemistry that, you know, that elevated that entire roster. They were playing for one another. Of course, they, they, they grew up around one another. And, and that's one of the, the elements and pieces that Rockies teams still have now is very much being homegrown because you saw the chemistry of the 2007 club and you say, man, if you could bottle that up, maybe if we can do that again, another team of, of guys that get counted out, maybe they can do that. And so they all waited for, for Helton to come back in. And man, that was, that was quite an exciting game in Colorado at Coors Field. So thanks for sharing that, Timo. LJ Maximo, we became an official baseball town. The city turned purple. Yeah, I know at the time, I don't know if, if Spilly, his recollection kind of got tweaked, but uh, I know he had said that at the time, the the fervor in the city and, and the outpouring of support in, in Denver, they called it the purple storm. I hadn't heard that before, but um, that's, that's, that's an interesting take on it. You could go with a purple storm. There, there's nothing wrong with that. There was, um, hello everybody. Thanks Patrick. It's <laughs> a great, great show. I was enjoying it. Um, yeah, they even, uh, the, the Capitol building turned purple. A lot of the, there were a lot of things I remember, you know, people were putting out all the signs. Denver just turned in. It really did. Um, that, that's not completely symbolism when LJ Maximo says the city turned purple. There was, it was everywhere. Um, it, and I was living in Boulder at the time, as I am now. I don't know why I specified that. but um, And you couldn't go and get a slice of pizza or go and grab a beer or go anywhere out and about without people talking about the Rockies. And it's the only time in my life that's been true. As great as 2009 was, as much fun as 17 and 18 were, at least for, for me, um, there was never that that time where the whole city was just captured by it. Uh, I remember coming home from that game that uh, Timo Picks is talking about uh, here. The uh, what was it? Attended the Saturday D-backs game. Fifth inning, bases loaded, two lows up. To my recollection, opposite field grand slam. Uh, I was at that game as well, and I remember coming making the drive back to Boulder and stopping to get a slice of pizza before going home. And the guy giving me my pizza, shaking his head and going too low, too low. My God, too low. And I, like, you know, we were all just collectively stunned. Um, it, it, it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. Uh, and the city really did turn. Like I remember being, I think that now now we're we're moving forward a little bit, but I was at game three of the NLDS. I've talked about that, the blackout game. Ubaldo Jimenez pitched a gem. Jeff Baker got the game-winning single through the right side. Um, and I remember walking out onto into Lodo, into a sea full of people. Uh, for the first time, the Colorado Rockies had ever advanced past the first round of the postseason. Um And still to this day, the only year in which the Colorado Rockies have advanced past the first round of the postseason and standing in the middle of this swarm of people and everyone was just happy and high-fiving and hugging. And I remember a guy, uh, and it was like, you could think this was negative and I want to tell the story as positively as I can. 
but there was a there was a guy outside of Coors Field standing up on the the bronze statue of the player there. He was kind of up on the pedestal and he was holding a big sign that says Jesus saves. And I just remember someone in the crowd yelling out, "Yeah, but not quite as well as Manuel Corpus." Hi. It was right there. I imagine nobody <laughs> wanted to go home. It was just you just wanted to stay in that moment. It was so magical, right? I remember when I finally did getting in the car an hour and a half, two hours after the game had ended, the streets are full of people The you know, it was stop and go traffic. I've never been less frustrated in stop and go traffic in my life. And people are coming up, tapping on the windows, you know, no one's banging things. No one's flipping stuff over, lighting things on fire. But Hey, did you see the, they won the game. Did you see the game? They won the game. We were all at the game and it was, um, LJ Maximo. Yep. The Lodo bars loved it. I'm sure they did. You couldn't sleep at night. Uh, same. It was just, yeah. Why, what are we going home? Or, or like I said, in my slow drive out, I had the windows down. I'm high-fiving people out the window of my car um, all the way out of, of Denver. And then, like I said, and then I got home and the pizza guy was like, did you see the game? I'm like, I was at it. <laughs> it un- unreal. Unreal time to be a, a Rockies fan. Yeah. You know, the, the the purple storm uh, of what that is and, and the entire city turning purple you know in, in a sense the 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 broncos helped with that i think you know they, they had started off that season you know, early on but then they had lost two in a row yeah. and there was a bye week in there so it was like okay well let's let's kind of take a pause on things with the broncos because it had been just again unlike anything else that the city had experienced before since, you know, getting a franchise in 1993. It's like, those are the banner years is, is 93. Hey, we're on the map. You gotta, you gotta have something Rockies, gotta wear it to school. And then, okay. The plateaus for a little while. And yeah, the Blake street bombers are nice. It just, there's a a small uptick, right? Nothing major. And then nothing for virtually a, a decade. And then 2007, it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. There is playout. There is more baseball in October. And we're in it? Yeah, let's go. Wait, we're winning? Yeah, let's go. Like right. Yeah, so if you if more to it. And and if you really want to to back up, you know, my story, it, it, there's something really interesting here because okay. Let's go back to let's go back to the beginning. You've opened up a can of worms for me here now, Patrick. I entered T-ball. turned 5-6 whatever it was. The year the Colorado Rockies officially began to exist right? 1993. I turned six years old. Uh, so I enjoyed those early years as a kid. And, hey, we've got baseball and Blake Street Bombers. And they did go to the postseason the one time in 95. And the team was great. And every game was sold out. And Lodo was becoming more a place to be, but still wasn't early then. Um, and then there was this gigantic lull. Now, early on, I was die hard, ride or die, no matter what. So even into the early 2000s. But then they trade Larry Walker. What, 03? want to say 2002 2003 and then it really started to get now i'm starting to wear down okay the team hasn't been good since 95 um they just traded my favorite player uh i don't know these guys it seemed like every year there's a group of just unknown players coming through and the the, the deal and dan at the time dan o'dowd who love you dan if you're listening um <laughs> You know, it was the thing just became once these guys have value as veterans, move them all out. And we watched a bunch of guys from the Rockies who were 
like pretty good pieces of the team. Pedro Estacio, Sean Chacon, Larry Walker, uh, go and win World Series rings almost immediately with other teams. It, like the mid, the early to mid 2000s were basically the Rockies are bad. And whenever they get a good player, they trade him to a team where he'll go and win. And that happened over and over and over again. And around 0405, I, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, stopped watching baseball. The Denver Nuggets were my team. I, I dove deeply into the NBA and Carmelo Anthony and that whole thing. I did not miss a single Nuggets game during Carmelo's career, basically. I'd say I watched 90 to 95% of, of the Nuggets games played in the seven years Carmelo Anthony was in Denver. And from 04 to early 07, I, I mean, I'm a baseball fan. I'd, I'd turn on the Rockies game if it was on, but I'd probably catch half of them. You know, for me, half, less than half. And yeah, uh, LJ, this is when they started calling it the Todd and the Toddlers era, where there was Todd Helton, and, and Sully even referred to himself as a toddler on this podcast the other day. And there was this group, of, and every year, uh, here's Clint Barmas. Is he a thing? Kinda. Here's... This guy is he a thing? Kinda. Here's this guy is he a thing? And then, and then it was here's Matt Holiday. Is he a thing? Yeah, yeah. Actually, he appears to be a thing. And but it was still just the one extra one. Garrett Atkins, Brad Hop, they're kind of things. These guys all came up together, and I'll I'll never forget this. Or at least I hope I never forget it. Flipping on a random game in May of 2007, and I probably didn't watch hardly anything in April. Here's another season. The Rockies are going nowhere. They've got two players I've heard of, Helton and Holiday. And they called up this rookie with a name I couldn't pronounce. And I went, here we effing go again. A bunch of nobodies, some kid who's supposed to save the team, a shortstop who's six foot four and has a name we can't pronounce. They're going nowhere. This pitching staff sucks. I'd never heard of. Two of the pitchers who would get called up midseason and be a powering force for them making it, Ubaldo Jimenez and Franklin Morales. But I was out. I was out. And then this team started winning, and my turning point was that year there was an interleague series with the New York Yankees at Coors Field, which doesn't happen very often. You don't get the Yankees at Coors. So it's just it's must-watch television regardless. So I – actually went to all three of those games. And I was coaching Little League Baseball at the time. And the Rockies swept the Yankees. And when they won that third game, I remember calling a buddy of mine and saying, the Rockies are going to the postseason. This team is legit. This is going to happen. And then they struggled for the next month really bad until making that run in. So I looked stupid for a minute. And then I looked really smart. But that that this run didn't just come on the back of a season where it didn't look like it was – going to be there it came on the back of a decade where it looked like these guys got no shot um and and then i did like that that team for the most part did come back to the postseason in 2009 so as much as people want to say hey they caught lightning in a bottle it was a total fluke great story magic i i kind of hate it now when people use the word magic like i know what they mean they mean it in a positive way i'm good but um it was also a very good baseball team that played incredible baseball. Yeah, when you when when the word magic is thrown around, it's kind of similar to like luck. 
right? But yeah. but luck is a residue of design. Let that sit mm. for a second, right? It's mm. it's like hey, you got to line things up properly, and hey, maybe only the the right outcome happens thirty percent of the time. But if it, that's one of those times, well, hey, you you could you could have seen that, right? I think I think Drew, there's probably a lot of fans in Colorado at that time that probably had fallen off because going, you know, in, in, in 04 and 05, they had almost lost a hundred games. They lost 94, 95 games right. respectively. They were actually in the midst of six straight losing seasons. So yeah, while you have Larry Walker on your opening day roster from 2001 to 2004, team's just not very good overall. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? Hey, this is, you know, th- in fact, uh, 2005 was the first year that they dipped under, 2 million. So only 1.9 came out to Coors Field that year, which which seems insane to have anything even starting with the number 2, right? right? So right. uh and then going back to what you what you said about the the Yankees series. Yeah, I think the Yankees have probably only played in Colorado maybe two or three times. In fact, I remember that. I I literally this exact second. I remember uh doing some work in my grandparents house in North Jersey when that series was being played because the uh, announcers for the Yankees at that time, John Sterling and Susan Walden, um, they were talking about Troy Tulowitzki and they were talking all about this kid growing up and how he loved Derek Jeter and he wore number two for Derek Jeter. And it was this whole big thing and, and how, you know, Tulowitzki was you know, essentially, you know, the, the head of the, the rookie class that season. So that was a, that was a big story. And yeah, the, the Rockies go out and they beat essentially, arguably three hall of fame pitchers, Mike Messina, Andy Pettit, just wait 30, 40 years, he might get in. And Roger Clemens, yeah. who I'm sure eventually the, will yeah. say what you will. But yeah. all we're talking about is the fact that the Rockies beat them. Right. They don't care about his career. They right. beat a guy juiced up, <laughs> yoked out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Don't take that away from the Rockies. They did that. They beat him. All three of those guys were stuck with the loss in that game. So, I love the full case that you're making here. I feel like that needs to be made more often. Like, yeah, you can look at all the ways in which the Rockies got lucky, but look at the pitchers they beat to get where they got. That's it. I hadn't even thought about that that much. Yeah. Yeah. Between, between, you know, PV and, and Webb, as we said. And, and again, those are two guys that they weren't of the same Messina Clemens caliber, right? Because, you know, those guys aren't really, aren't going to be going to the Hall of Fame. But, but man, that season at the yeah. time, not, yeah. and, and not even just the season too. Again, they had a, a, a very big resume. Jake Peavy was a guy that he was on the, he was on the road to maybe, you know, eking his way into the hall of fame. He was, he was almost yeah. like a Zach Granke type guy where all mm. right, you're going to have to compile a little bit towards the end of your career. And if you do it long enough, you know, you'll get to 250 wins, etc. Webb was incredibly dominant for three seasons, but that was it. So he, he didn't even get a chance for, for an argument to be made. But with PV there, you know, even when he went to Chicago, he still had a, still made an all-star appearance with the White Sox at that point. It was like, you know, if he can, if he can turn it around, there could be a case made for him. He was, he was a right-handed version of, of Andy Pettit in a sense, as far as right. talking about a guy who you can make the case, he could be a hall of famer, maybe not. And, and PV just, just kind of lost it towards the tail end of of his career. So yeah, the Rockies, they earned every bit of what they did in that 07 season. 
Will says, I remember one of the New York Post headlines after they got swept in that last game, the Yankees, that is. Uh, obviously, New York says uh, that that fog started lost in a fog. You got to appreciate that. Um, and that's part of how he earned that nickname. The Dragon Slayer was beating pitchers with far better reputations and and really just better stuff, <laughs> just better pitchers. Um, but he figured out how to win those games. Uh, smart, smart guy. We got to get Josh. We got to get the fogger on the podcast, man. There, there's probably another New York paper that they, they went a different way and they said, you know, they Purple Haze was the headline. Purple Haze, fog smokes out, you know, yeah. Messina in 4 3. Well, that was sure. another one. I'm yes. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> the, do you remember the story? I, I think it was the New York Post that Bud Black told uh, about when they were with Kansas City, he and uh, Vita Blue. And they went to New York and got absolutely beat up by the Yankees in a doubleheader. Um, and the New York Post headline was Yankees destroy Royals black and blue. Oh, so good. Yeah, that is really good. Come on. <laughs> I mean, creative, but also it's right there on a, on a silver platter. So. It's there for you. It's one of those things where you almost wonder, are other people going to have this headline if I roll with it? What are the chances? And again, that's the beauty of, of sports is that you you can't write these things. Because if you if you have a book and you, you toss in a couple of characters, you know, Vita Blue, Bud Black, Oh, Black and Blue, you're like, oh, my God, this this author. I mean, it's this is a good book. Right. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the tale he's telling, but come on with the names. Right. But sometimes, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Speaking of one, one or two more things before we wrap this one up from our improbability truth is stranger than fiction file. There were a couple of things you had mentioned, you know, again, not to just belabor the point about the, the run at the end wasn't everything. Um, one thing I always like to point out too is the Rockies ran into a terrible string of bad luck right before the 15 games in a row or 14 games in a row came, they lost some really tough ones in St. Louis and Chicago in particular. I remember them losing a game where Troy Tulowitzki had hit a go ahead home run in the top of the ninth in Chicago. <clears throat> and Kaz Matsui, who committed again, to my recollection, Four errors all season. Can we double check that? I believe that's right. Four errors all season. One of them cost the Rockies that game. It was in the ninth inning. He dropped a ball right in, a, right at him to, to start a, a whole rally. The Rockies lose that baseball game. Uh, the, and they had gone on a stretch there. As we were talking about before we came on here, um, the 2007 Colorado Rockies had to replace their closer because Brian Fuentes, who had been – lights out the first several months of the season, probably the best strikeout artist out of the bullpen in Rockies history. He just lost it. And I think he blew like four or five saves in, in a week. And again, those are all games where you go, man, if they had maybe made the changeover to Corpus a little bit sooner, or if their closer just hadn't had this random middle of the season meltdown, they wouldn't have needed all those games and they would have maybe more comfortably and maybe they win the division. Um, but yeah, a, a team that had to mid-season get rid of their closer, put another one in there, a rookie in Manuel Corpus, or at least a very young player, a guy who didn't have 
any kind of track record of success in Major League Baseball um, and, and make that run with him, I, I think needs to be a bigger part of the conversation as well. Yeah, no, he, he was a rookie as he had only had 32 in a third inning pitch this so. previous season, um, but was fantastic. 2.08 ERA, yeah, 19 saves, basically most of them coming in in that second half and was just absolutely unbelievable. And and even the play that he made to, uh, I can't remember what game it was. I think you're thinking of game three of the NLDS. That's the one I was there because I was sitting up the third baseline. Maybe you're thinking of a different one, but game three of the NLDS definitely ends this way. A swinging bunt up the third baseline. Manuel Corpus runs right at me. He's looking right at he's looking at me in the eyes. Watch the video. He's looking at me right in the eyes. He picks up the ball barehanded with his back to first base. And he turned around and threw that thing like a dart to first. And how many hundreds of times have we seen pitchers, especially relief pitchers, throw that thing into the stands or down the right field line? And it was as athletic a play as you're going to defensive play as you're going to see a, a relief pitcher make. Yeah, that was, and I think Dan O'Dowd even said about the play, it was like, you, you do that 100 times. He's throwing that ball into right field 99 <laughs> times. And the fact that he made in that, that one play is, is just phenomenal. And yeah, Helton was, was just so exuberant again at, when you, we stepped away for a second and just talked about just his, his just, just childlike you know energy that he had and and he wasn't an old player at that point. He wasn't at the end of his career, you know. I mean, yeah, he had he had suffered through all those losing seasons, but he was just it was just so exciting for him to be in the middle of that again, especially after all of those losing seasons in a row. So. Yeah, Corpus was was unbelievable, and and he goes down in 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 Rocky's lore for what he did in that that 07 season. Kazmetsu, as you said, only may only made those four errors all season long. And you're right, it was uh, the second to last play on June 27, 2007, at Wrigley Field against the Cubs, where again just uh, on a Ryan Terrio ground ball. He is just just a, a poor throw, and it sets the table for Alfonso Soriano to to get the walk off single, and then end up losing that one nine eight, and they lose the next two games after that, and they get swept by the Cubs in Chicago. And you know, if you kind of transpose that with what happened in you know this this past summer with the 2019 Rockies, that that summertime, those dog days of summer, whether it's the early part or the late part, you can learn a lot about the team about if, if they've got the, the chutzpah, the cojones, whatever it may be, to, to kind of fight back from something like that. And when you, you get swept in, in, a, in a fashion like that, you know, that can be a sign of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this team has what it takes. I think you, you, might, you might get three of those. You might get three of those all season. And you can bounce back. The 07 Rockies did. The, the 2019 Rockies did not. You know, you look at that, right. that that series against the Padres. Yeah, that was some of the best and worst baseball simultaneously. Yeah, you know they they split a four game series and everyone's on the edge and uh, a couple slam doors here and there. We won't go into it any further than that, but that was kind of the again that was the first domino, and the rest of the summer they they could not rebound, but but the Rockies did in 07. They they had, you know, what it 
what it took to get through it. And and I think a lot of that has to do with Clint Hurdle and his attitude and his mind. Hundred percent. You you were there in November for for anyone that doesn't know, and it's one of the reasons why you got to be tapped in to your local uh, Saber chapter, sabr.org. We have one of the finest ones in in the Rocky Mountain region. We're considered quite literally the gold standard for what we do, having so many events. Shoot, we even had on the president of the Hall of Fame, Tim Mead. So before this past week when they announced that they wouldn't be uh, um, you know, a celebration this summer, Tim Mead let us members know a couple weeks ago. And the one thing that we've had uh, every year for – uh, going on about about twenty some years is uh, is an annual banquet in November. And this past year we had Clint Hurdle, and he talked all about the 07 Rockies. And man, the dude is a motivational speaker. I know. Right? <laughs> I was, Gets it I going. Was, I was ready to 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 bench press a small Fiat, uh, which is kind of redundant. But man, he he just had me all pumped up. And Clint Barmas was there, and yeah. you had Jason Hirsch, who was also on that 07 team, and and Thomas Harding. You know, he was the MC in this this fantastic conversation and Q and A, and and I think a lot of that again, you talk about the players and what they did on the field, but it was also that that coaching staff headed by Clint Hurdle, who, you know, helped helped lead those guys into a place that the organization simply had never been before, and it's it, it hats off to him for that. Yeah, I I've always thought that Clint Hurdle never got quite enough credit for this, especially because a couple of years later, he was sort of seen as the scapegoat when the Rockies got off to a slow start in 09. And then they fired Clint Hurdle. And then they went on the run, the best stretch in, in Rockies history under Jim Tracy, who basically showed up and let everyone do whatever they want, where Clint Hurdle was, you know, the other way. And, and did he lose the guys? I think so. In hindsight, the more I, I talk to people and, and learn about it, I think also some of the personality of the team, changed uh, around him you know Tulo's I can't accept anything less than perfection and winning and I can't accept losing and I have to demand the absolute best out of everybody I think was really good as a rookie when it was tempered by okay kid but you're not the leader of the team the more he became the de facto leader of the team once Holiday was out of there especially I think you, you know I, I and I don't know that there's necessarily one person to blame or not, and obviously the Rockies did go on to win 92 games, almost ever in 09, but just wasn't a good mix, uh, which is really too bad because I do think that Clint Hurdle, um, I don't know if there's too many other managers in baseball who could have done with that group uh, for, uh, I just don't think anybody else could have done that, or very few people could have done that with that crew. And he had that experience with them, you know, obviously as the hitting coach for, for so many years. So he, he understood course, much like Bud Black. I mean, look at the success that, that he's had with the team. He, he knows what's going on at, at Coors Field. You know, he's, he's very familiar from, from managing the, the Padres in the NL West. And you say, well, why wasn't that true for Walt Weiss? Well, he, you know, he was never a big league manager up to that point. Yeah. He was familiar with Coors Field, but how does that play in context context with the other 14 teams in the NL and, and, and the 30 team, you know, MLB and, and all that. So there may be just too many things at play, but, you know, Clint absolutely understood what was, was going on. And, and yet you've got to have all the right pieces in play for him to click. And, you know, wh whose fault is it that it, that it fell apart? You know, I think with any relationship, you know, all of the, all of the, 
you know, components and, and all the members of a relationship, you know, are at fault in, in some shape or form. And, and yeah, no doubt, like that we know there's relationships in which clearly one party is the loose cannon, but you don't get to that part. If the other, you know, part of, of the relationship, the other member isn't somewhat complicit. It's like, right. you shouldn't have even been dating this person or you shouldn't have been <laughs> in this relationship in the first place. So right. that doesn't happen if you don't go, well, okay. Yeah. Maybe I do want to, you know, make a connection here. So, well, and that's the funny thing about sports, though, right? Is because a lot of times these relationships are created by by a third party, by the by the general manager, right? So, so it's sort of like these two people, Tulo and Clint Hurdle, would probably never have come together to be best friends in normal real life. Um, but a general manager put them together, and for a little while, for a minute there. Their energies, I think, played really well off of each other. But once Tulo's got a bit bigger, tougher to contain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the 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 triangle between George Steinbrenner, his manager Billy Martin, and mm-hmm. Richie Jackson, who said, you know, hey, I'm the straw that stirs the drink in here. And again, it works for a short period of time, and then 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 it combusts but but that's what you go for that's that's it you're you've got these these chemicals that you're bringing together that's part of the clubhouse chemistry and you go shoot if these things can balance just right it's it's going to go great and and I'll, and you know the the chemistry with that it goes bad more often than not hopefully it doesn't blow up and i, I don't think for the rockies it it did blow up you know what i mean right. yeah it, it it came to a head and and hurdle goes more, more fizzled right. out than blew up Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there are plenty of relationships where, where, where it comes to blows in, in, in pro sports. I mean, Latrell Sprewell is, is, is a great <laughs> example also, but I mean, you know, you have those bad examples where it goes atrociously, but more oftentimes than not, it, it, it ends. I mean, even look at Joe Madden, Joe Madden, the toast of the town for the Chicago Cubs wins right. the first world series in over 100 years. And then, you know, open up, up any newspaper or read any articles from the, the last half of the 2019 season and it's like oh man epstein and, and madden they, they can't be in the same room together and this guy's delusional and this guy's planning a, their 2020 manager so you know that that's just kind of how it goes two of the guys that that we talked about being kind of again unsung heroes we talked about so many of them matt hergis jamie carroll manny corpus were Corey sullivan and ryan spielborgs and if you've seen the the 21 days, the, the really fantastic documentary, uh, definitely go back and watch that. You see those guys as as players and, you know, they were important, you know, cogs in the machine, you know, far from superstars. But now we look on a decade plus later, those two guys are still kind of faces within the organization, you know, at, at AT&T Sportsnet doing the games and you, you kind of got a glimpse of their personalities as players that, okay, they had a knack for talking and they feel comfortable being in front of a camera. And, you know, they, they understand so many different things on the other side of the game. So my question to you, Drew is, and I've got a couple in my, my head, but from this, this current club or, or even in the past oh. couple of years, who to you, do you think if they go back and they talk about, you know, this, this short little dynasty, cause Hey, maybe the Rockies win it all in, in 2020 or at least go to the world series or they win it in 2021. You get, you have to talk about the 17, the 18 team, the 19 team. So who in recent memory to you is someone that stands out that you could see, you know, being a part of the DNVR Sportsnet 
uh, broadcast of the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. When you know you and you and me, we're gonna be doing play by play, but we're gonna need a color guy. You know, we're gonna need to to send it back to right. uh, the DNVR bar on on Colfax, uh, and say, hey, let's get some post game coverage. What what current or uh, relatively recent Rockies player do you see is our go to guy? So. I want to mention a couple who are no longer on the team just because I had, I had thought of them and I've even written particularly Daniel Descalso. I know that's a weird random name to be the first one to come out of my mouth, but um, in a lot of conversations with Daniel Descalso, uh, I, I, I think he'll either be a great coach or a great analyst. I think that's almost a lock. The, the minute he hangs it up, he'll either be in a clubhouse or on television somewhere. Um, and, an, and another weird rando to, to bring up in that way is Michael McHenry, a backup catcher. Who, but it's just like the guy can talk. He knows the game. He's super entertaining. He's awesome. In fact, catchers in general, I think, are good for this. And that's why I'll go with our guy, Tony Wolters. I could see Wolters being a pretty excellent analyst of the game. I could see him being an entertaining TV personality, a la... Ryan Spielborgs, he's got enough energy. He can he can relate to a lot of people. We talked about that with Sully, but you see the way he comes into the clubhouse yelling at the top of his lungs in Spanish and then goes over and asks John Gray how his video game playing went last night and then, uh, you know, hits the, the books because now it's time to research the other lineup. Uh, I, I think Wolters would be great for it. I think Charlie Blackman would be great for it, but I don't think he would have any interest whatsoever in doing that. I think you'd much rather just go fishing and be left alone. That's a, that's a component is you, you have, if a guy reaches a certain level, he doesn't need to do that. Or it, it's yes. come on. It's, I would, I'm not even a fisherman and I'd rather just fly fish the rest of my life. Like that sounds so much more peaceful and enjoyable, relaxing than, you know, covering sports. So yeah, I think, I think he's lost to that, but, but yeah. he would possibly enjoy that. Uh, Tony Walters, great pick. Uh, I, I think there's a definite shot at that one. That that's better than than the first guy that came to mind for me, which is Ryan McMahon. Mm. Ryan McMahon, great talker, loves to flash flash those those pearly whites. Yeah. I think he's got a chance to again. He could ascend and become a a, a multi time all star at second base. And so then you could lose him if, if he makes too much money. He doesn't need to come back, you know, and, and, and do that. But I, I think McMahon's got enough swagger and an understanding of the game where, you know, he could certainly do that. And and on the on the flip side, I could see Carlos Estevez being one of those guys. Very pleasant to talk to. Is he the guy you're just thinking of right now? No, I thought of a different one, but now I'm mad I didn't think of Estevez. That's great. That's great. That's really perfect. Um LJ Maximo brings up uh Dahl is making noise and likable. Uh, I put I put him kind of firmly in that Charlie Blackman category. Where I think if you I think if you put Dahl in front of a camera and, and told him to do some stuff, he'd be great. Um, I don't think he would agree to do something like that. I do uh, agree. Yeah. Um, ooh, but maybe he's he's working on his chops with the MLB The Show. Maybe this is his first foray. He's getting out there a little more and. His his wife is in marketing and PR, so I do think she pushes him a little more to to go out and do those things. Um, I don't think it's his natural inclination. Um, Will says, "Gonna pick a name you haven't mentioned yet." Dexter Fowler. Dex would be phenomenal on television, and he would have a pick of a couple of different organizations he could do that for. Um, he's managed to endear himself to three of them at this point. Gotta love Dexter Fowler. 
Uh, Tim Optics, Trevor Story is simply a nice dude. I think Trevor Story would be simply a nice dude. If you if you want to sit down and have like an NPR conversation with somebody, uh, but you, you got to bring the talking energy out of Story. The playing baseball energy, no. He brings that in spades. The, the entertaining people by talking, again, Trevor's, I don't think it comes naturally to Story, but he's working on that. Um, I would love to see Bud Black. Oh. Do. He would but I would love to see Bud Black as you know a color analyst, post game analyst, something like that. He'd be phenomenal. Oh, he would be so good. It would almost be too much for for some people. I think it would, <laughs> it'd be great for like our broadcast of like, can you walk us through why that pitch sequence was something it shouldn't have been? Uh, but some people would just be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> he would almost he would almost be like a Tony Romo, where it's like this is too good. This right. is you're making everybody else look bad, and it's yeah. He 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 would bring that kind of a verve, so to speak. To I've got to- yeah, I, I totally agree. I've got one more name, and in fact, someone who may be close to having to make a decision like this. And honestly, in the next three or four or five years, um, I really hope this person is on AT and T Sports talking baseball but talking specifically rockies baseball chadwick bettis the third no he did the first chat chad bettis uh he's a great talker he's a really engaging personality uh he's just a wonderful human being uh for i mean as well as i know him whatever um but he really understands pitching pitching at altitude pitching away from altitude and he can explain it in understandable people human people terms <laughs> and and so i think you know it, it looks like we'll see if he can catch on with the yankees a little bit out there um he, he may be close to the end of his career and there may be people who look at him and go why should we be listening to the advice of a guy who was kind of a borderline starter for much of his career and certainly was never a superstar pitcher but i think that go away after about five minutes of listening to chad bettis talk yeah, Corey Sullivan and and Ryan Spielborgs they 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 didn't have you know very long careers. Right. Bettis is just has been just as long, but you know there there's such a, a component of of guys being superstars. You know, outside of of some of the the guys that do it with like you know A Rod and A Rod's good on TV for for whatever else. He's very good on TV. He's become a lot more enjoyable in his retirement than when he was a player. But, <laughs> but him, Frank Thomas. Uh, David Ortiz again. Those guys are just doing doing the post game stuff in a studio, and but they're they're kind of the the rare breed because again, you know, there's there's contracts and stuff involved, and there's hey, I just kind of you know I, I want to retire, step away from the limelight, you know, raise their family. So you you need a, a guy kind of in that that second tier like like a Chad Bettis, and you know, and he's he can talk more about what he's been through, you know, his, his trials and tribulations, you know, he's, he's had just, he's had to persevere unlike so many in the game. And so to be able to talk about that and share that with an audience is such a key factor. It's, it's one of the reasons why superstar players, you don't see them become coaches and managers because for them, it was somewhat natural, right? They, their gifts took them so far and then they made minor adjustments along the way, but somebody else who's grinding it out and they're, you know, in their late twenties and they're just now getting their first opportunity at a starting spot or they're, they're holding on as a utility player in their 
early to, to mid thirties, it's like, oh man, dude, there's no hope for you because you got this going on. You got that. You're too small, your body type, you're beat up. It's like, well, thanks coach. I feel really good about, you know, yeah. being in the lineup today. You, you, you just can't, you know, uh, elaborate and illuminate all the different details and nuances that are needed. So you need to have those kind of struggles. You need to be an underdog for a, a decent amount of your career and, and, and not a superstar. Yeah, I think that's actually a great point. In fact, that might even make him a, a better candidate for like a, a pitching coach or a pitching advisor situation in the Rockies organization. And, and again, I, I think they should consider that. We talked to solely about Fogger, uh, a very similar thing there. Someone who can understand the struggles and not just being able to figure um, things out. Um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of little things like that. that the Rockies, uh, we were, we mentioned the name earlier. I think Clint Hurdle should be involved in this organization in some way that they're fine at manager, but um, in the front office, uh, I, I think so. And Tim Optic says, John Gray would be interesting to hear his strategy and color analysis. It would be, uh, would it be great? I don't know, but it would be entertaining. John Gray on camera, John Gray, talking to John Gray is never not entertaining. It's just never not. He 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 strikes me more as a as a Yogi Berra type coach. Yeah. With like just his, his interesting tales and talking about you know swimming with with what now he wasn't swimming with whales but he is now. If we're <laughs> if we're gonna make him this Yogi Berra type guy and talking about these stories and sharing experiences, yeah, you know, hey, when when I went swimming with whales in the 2019-20 off season, you know, it really made me appreciate. <laughs> nature and being one so when you're out there in left field really feel the grass underneath your cleats all right come on let's go get him today thanks coach gray you know oh love it would be fantastic oh i love it all right we do we do gotta wrap this thing up before too long so we got a fifa tournament coming on the twitch channel so that should be ready i gotta get ready for sunday's wgt tournament that's right i've got to drink a lot of breck brew and manscape not to get too personal i'm just saying Uh, so do, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap this thing up here? There's always time to talk about the glory days, but we've done it so much now. I just want to make sure that we get our, our talk on 163 and 07 out of the way so we can move forward into some other discussions here in the next week. Yeah, no, game game 163 is, is just so, so enjoyable. And as it, you said it, Todd Helton has said it about, you know, if, this, if it were Yankees and Red Sox, it would go down. In, in so much more lore and history. I'm sure you would have even seen it. And actually, we could see it. We, we still don't know what's going to be in, in Ken Burns' next um, inning, right. 11th inning, because that's 2000 to 2009. So we could go back and see this. And maybe, because we see what, what Ken Burns ended up doing for Buck O'Neill, who was, hey, he's one of the, the first African-American coaches, you know, uh, was a hitting coach with the Chicago Cubs, but other than that, a relative unknown. And then you hear him talk and you go, okay, this is just a great, one of the greatest human beings of all time. Well, Ken Burns can maybe highlight Coors Field and in Colorado Rockies baseball and in game 163, maybe that, you know, elevates this game in, 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 a, in a sense, you know, talks about all the lead changes, Colorado being up 2-0, 3-0, San Diego comes back in the third with five runs, it's 5-3. Then Rockies tie it up in the fifth, 5-5. Five, five. Then in the sixth, Rockies are leading 6-5. Then in the eighth, San Diego scores a run. And now it's tied 6-6. Six, six. Four shutout innings. 
and then we go into the 13th and it's and it's, it's just crazy. it's just electric yeah. so it's 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 a fantastic game it's never not fun to watch and even though you know what the outcome is going to be even though it's going to be a four-hour ordeal with or without commercials it's it's one of it's the most iconic game in, in rocky's history mm. period stamp it the end i i really hope i really hope that uh, and the 21 days doc is really good i hope that it uh, gets out there more and finds a second life I'd like to see a bit of a more thorough documentary on just the thing, but yeah, I really hope Ken Burns does dive into it and doesn't just wash over it, which I fear is likely uh, with so many things that go on in a decade and with the Rockies rarely garnering attention from national audiences. I could, I could see the temptation to skip over it. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen, Uh, but yeah, it's really a story, I, I think. And there's so much more involved in it that we weren't even really able to get to here. Again, if you go and watch the 21 Days documentary stuff leading up to it, uh, the the we had talked about the third base coach who died uh, after getting hit by uh, a line drive and, and his kids coming out and, and throwing out the first pitch at the game. Uh, and I, think, I think that was game three of the NLDS that I was at. Uh, the... the the young man that Clint Hurdle had grown attached to who passed away from, it was, it was a cancer, right? And, and he had written his number on the lineup card every day. Like that whole story in and of itself could be a little 10 to 20 minute documentary, just about the relationship between Clint Hurdle and this young man uh, while all the baseball stuff was going on. And the baseball games could be a backdrop, like the B plot to that story. Um, telling the story of Kaz Matsui's one real year. He did come in the, the previous year barely, but the, the, you know this guy who was there for one year, uh, one of the very few Japanese players in the history of the team, but was so important to their success that year. He had a grand slam against the Phillies. We didn't even talk about that yet. You know, there's just so many things. So I'd love to see a second life for this. The 21 Days doc is good. I want to see a newer, more in-depth, frankly, slightly better. I think it's really good for what it is, but I'd like to see an even better one done more in depth um, about that whole season and, and all those guys. But it would have to be, it would almost have to be several episodes long for you to really get all of the details of it. Uh, there's just so many things that happened. So I hope everyone's enjoying reliving it a little bit. I think there's space for that to something like that to happen because so much time has, has gone by. I think when they did 21 days, it was relatively soon right after, after him. you know, obviously you want to capitalize that the memory is fresh but there's going to be other stories that that come out and and you find out all kinds of interesting you know stories uh that are just like oh so that was what was really going on and 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 whatnot so you're right there's 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 so much to uh, extrapolate even even clint hurdle and his daughter his daughter's health you know um there there's so many so many layers to this this team and, and you can even go back to when they were in the minors and just right familiarity with, with one another and it's it's amazing i hope that it something like that doesn't get made for the simple fact that you got to make a new one about the 2020 or the 2021 rockets ah. who win it all and like okay let's move to that one let's focus on the stories from that that world series championship squad and then Hey, we're going to forget about 20, you know, 2007 for a while, but that's okay because we got something even bigger and better to focus on. 
There you go. Nailed it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening into this one, joining us in a long walk down memory lane. It's been a lot of fun. If you do have more thoughts on the topic, you can still hit us up with them on social media or through email or just show up to the next live chat, either on Facebook, what? Facebook Periscope, uh, Twitch. Make sure you're following the Twitch channel so you don't miss out on the FIFA tournaments and the WGT. We had a really fun game of party games, Jackbox last night. Patrick is the king of trivia. I am the king of rap. That's just true. You can check the tape. I am DNVR's king of rap. Challenge me. You come at me, you're going to get the fire, though. That's all I'm saying. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. <laughs> check the tape. Uh, so thank you all for listening in. I hope you will continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.